healthy disagreement is a good thing for the organization, especially in our world where we want to get to the right answer. It doesn't matter who comes up with the right answer. Creating an environment where healthy dialogue, healthy disagreement can occur means that you have to start from a foundation of caring about people. And when we disagree, we do so in a respectful manner. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth, exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. How did FCP Services develop their their core values? Um, what was the process like to distill it down to people drive growth? The characteristics of people driving growth have always been a part of the organization. And as we've grown, there was a desire to make them more than just something that inherently as a small organization, people just knew. They knew how to treat people. They knew uh, we hired people who had a desire to want to complete projects. And and the growth just sort of happened organically. And so as the organization began to develop, we put a we, we never had a business model up until probably eight years ago or so. And and then we went to the EOS model. Uh, and part of the EOS model is creating your core values and making them known. And so five years ago, they came to me uh, and said, we'd like to make these real for the, for the business. And at the time, we had probably seven or eight core values, all kind of around these three uh, descriptors. And so the process for us at that point was to take the ones that we had in place and put definition around them. What does it mean to put people first? And so through those definitions around what it meant to put people first, we really codified it around just people, just one word. Same thing we did with drive and then growth. It's the same thing. So as a leadership team, that's what we started with. And then we brought that to the deeper into the organization and asked people, what does it mean to you? Hmm. Uh, And it's always been ongoing. Now this is year four for for us to really have these in and out uh, in and around the organization and it's always developed so this year the emphasis is around creating a conversation between the what people do and how they do it so the what is really around those key accountabilities the things that every seat in the organization is responsible for but more important than the what is the how and the how goes to our core values. And so we've intersected this year for the first time the what of somebody to with the how. And they're not interchange they're they're absolutely interchangeable. And so somebody can be, for example, somebody can be a salesperson and go out and sell anything from our, our portfolio of services to anybody. And they can be really good at it. But if they don't represent the organization, to who we are and what we embody to our clients. They overpromise and underdeliver. They sell to price rather than value. They treat people negatively, both in the organization and outside of the organization. They don't care about anything other than their own sales quota. They can be doing the job really well hmm. from the what, but the how doesn't match up with the organization. And ultimately, 
That's what matters is how we go about doing the business that we do, because that's how we've established ourselves. You know, Chip uh, Campion, our founder, started the business because he didn't feel that the market was being represented by somebody who, uh, or organizations who cared. They were just getting work done. He also had this deep rooted belief that you're going to put your people first, which meant from his perspective as an owner, he was going to get paid last. And that still continues to this day that we care about our subcontractors. We care about making sure that when they invoice us, we pay them appropriately. Uh, we pay them on time. We, we are fair with our pricing, both with our clients and with our agreements that we have in place for our contractors. So that's really where all of this started is in that, in that ethos of, of the organization as it grew uh, and developed. And then as an organization gets as big as we are today, going from just a small Minnesota company to now a nationwide general contractor, processes have to be put in place. And the same holds true for the core culture and the values. If you don't put it front and center and you just let it happen, then the culture isn't actually something that's intentional. It just is a byproduct. And that's fine uh, for many organizations. But when you're going to lead with your values, you have to make it intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making it intentional, making sure that it's not just words on a wall and that it actually the, the people are embodying it. How have you, what have been some of the growing pains or how have you, say, established uh, these values as a day-to-day embodiment? Yeah, it really does have to be the day-to-day movements of everybody in the organization. So one of the first things that we did was ensure that everybody knew not only what they were, but what they meant. And so when you have three just words that you use to describe your core values, it really becomes that definition. So for people, it's we we want to have an environment where people not only are put first, but we genuinely care for and respect all the individuals in our organization. And one of the key attributes of our people core value is that we will respect everyone, especially when we disagree. Healthy disagreement is a good thing for the organization, especially in our world where we want to get to the right answer. It doesn't matter who comes up with the right answer. And so creating an environment where healthy dialogue, healthy disagreement can occur means that you have to start from a foundation of caring about people and about ensuring that when we disagree, we do so in a respectful manner. Mm. We do so in a way that acknowledges somebody else's differences and tries to understand where they're coming from. And that's really difficult at times because for anybody who's really passionate about something that that matters to them, if somebody comes in and, and has a disagreement around that, it's hard not to take it personally. And so we've had to really work around how that looks in the organization. And that starts with just having individual conversations and demonstrating what it looks like to say, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I do disagree with you. And here's why I disagree. And then having that healthy dialogue back and forth. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd be lying in, in, to say that if that in every conversation where there's disagreement, it goes like that. It doesn't. You know, there are shouting matches at times. There are. Uh, hurt feelings at times. There are wedges that can be driven out. And so then a part of 
our core values as a people-centric organization is to acknowledge when that happens and own it and say, yeah, we screwed that up. I shouldn't have said what I said. And so as soon as we recognize it, we want to acknowledge that. And that comes to that personal accountability piece when it comes to our core values. And mm-hmm. that's part of our other, uh, you know, as we look at at other the other core values, that growth piece is part of that. We personally and professionally want to grow. We individually and collectively want to grow. And part of growth is recognizing and acknowledging failure and mistakes and owning it. Mm-hmm. And so we have a culture around the organization that we're okay. We don't want to fail, but we recognize that we learn more in our failures than we do in our successes. And so we're okay taking risks, calculated risks, but risk nonetheless, and recognizing that we're likely going to make a mistake. And so what do we learn from the mistake? And so we do a lot of after action reports, you know, uh, sort of a military term that, that, that is used, but in many ways, that's our, our, our post, uh, project, um, recap, Mm -hmm. whether that's an internal project. So we're implementing a new system or whether that's actually in the field and in our projects, what do we learn from it? One of the characteristics of the organization is we will take on projects we've never done before. And when you do that, you have to recognize that we may not have priced it uh, the way we should have because we didn't know. So we bid it the best we, with the best data that we could, but because we've never operated a project like that, it may take us longer than we thought, especially early in that project. So if it's only a four-week project, you're a week behind, you're likely not going to make that all up in, in, and still have a quality project. So we have to recognize and acknowledge that and say, yeah, what did we learn from it? Mm. We did a massive uh, resort uh, remodel last year, and it was a project we had never done before. Many, many buildings all of our teams typically work in silos. So one uh, crew is out working all year long and they're just hanging, they're just with each other. It's one crew. They get to know each other. They get to know how they work. Well, this one was such a massive project that we ended up having six or seven crews all working together with one primary foreman. That was challenging. It was challenging from a people perspective because they were used to doing it their own way. And now you have one chief instead of multiple and, and there were territories around, well, that's my guy. Why are you talking to my guy? Right. And they were, and that was nothing other than that's what they were used to. Mm -hmm. So not only did we have a a project we'd never done before, but now we've put all of our teams together. And as an organization in hindsight, we went, yeah, that probably wasn't the smartest thing that we Mm could have done. We maybe should have set this up differently, or at least put some things in motion to ensure that we were paying attention to it. It was a learning experience. So in that experience, the people side, it, it, is that, that was a learning experience where maybe the core values didn't shine through as much as you would have liked to see. Is that what you're saying? I think in some ways, yes. And, and it's balancing that we, we didn't anticipate that we couldn't put all of these guys together and have one senior leader over the organization from, or, or over that project from a project standpoint. So we had a, a project manager like we do on all of our projects. But then because we had six foremen along with their, all of their crew on this site, we decided to have one primary foreman who was over all of it. And so those other foremen then had to mm. report into a, a, a senior foreman. They're, they're not used to that. And right. so there were those hurt feelings. There mm. were, was kind of this territorial, hey, you shouldn't talk to this guy. And they all had different personalities. And so one foreman may say, well, I set my project up this way. 
and another project uh, or another foreman is going to say, well, I do it this way. Mm-hmm. And and instead of having the coping skills to go, okay, let's come together and figure this out. They're not used to that. Sure. And so we set them up for not the kind of success that we would hope to have. However, at the end of the day, they all bonded together and the project uh, from the client's perspective went off without a hitch and they were really happy with the end product. So we learned a lot from it. So did our guys. One of the things that we did take away from it is if we're going to do that again, we need to prep those guys better. Mm. So instead of just going, Hey, here's the project scope. Let's go get the project set up. We would bring people together and talk about the rules of engagement for disagreements Mm -hmm. and some of those types of things that they're just not used to. Sure. To bring it back just a second, and I'll give you a second to think about maybe an example, but um, as far as onboarding new employees that you want to um, start them off with a a strong sense of what your values are. An example that I love is uh, Nordstrom's. When a story that they tell all their new hires is about the story that a woman brought in a dress that was two years old and one of their core values is uh, outstanding customer service or something along those lines. And the woman accepted the dress back without any question. And it just showcased that no matter what the customers first, we are going to take care of them. We want them to be happy with their products. Is there a story or an example that you tell your new hires or, or maybe that you don't right now, but you could um, in the future that that would showcase these these values in action. That's a good question. I would I would even step back as uh, even further when you're a values based organization, and the Nordstrom's example is is a great example of that. Part of it is is telling the stories of when that actually happens in your organization. But it also starts from the very beginning of how you actually position a, a an opening to the outside world. So how do you post the position? What do you describe as the role itself? And so we lead with our core values. We make sure that people understand that our culture is number one. It always will be. And so we want skill and we and in some cases you need it because of the role that they that they play. But if they have skill but don't align with our core values, it's likely not going to work. So one of the stories that we often tell in that process of onboarding people into the organization, even through the interview process, is our commitment to helping people become the best version of themselves. We deal with a lot of folks who, and the industry is somewhat like this, but we deal with a lot of people who may not have the skill set from a personal standpoint to manage being on the road for seven, eight months at a time. They may get home once in that seven or eight months. Uh, Otherwise, they're living out of a suitcase in a hotel with two other guys or three other guys on on a crew. And that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so our foremen are trained in being able to manage through some of those ups and downs when somebody is homesick, when somebody is dealing with something at home that normally they could deal with because they're there. But how do you cope with that when their first instinct is, well, I just got to get on a plane and go home. Well, if that happens, then we lose production, but more importantly, we lose a really good person potentially. So we often tell the story of our foreman who are up in the middle of the night 
dealing and walking through a life crisis with one of their field members. Um, we talk about the fact that we have some folks who have come from brokenness and it might be addiction. It might be, uh, some sort of, of challenge that is and can be hindering to their existence, let alone thriving. And how as an organization, we just come alongside of them and we allow them to work through it without just turning them away and saying, no, we can't have you here anymore. Now, does that happen at times? Sure. But it's usually after the third or fourth opportunity of coaching that we would get to that point. Um, and, and that, you know, I think embodies many of those types uh, of scenarios mm-hmm. uh, for us is that it's just simply walking alongside of people and letting them know that it's okay mm-hmm. to make mistakes. It's okay to be vulnerable. And in the construction industry, that's just not normal. That's not, that's not natural for most of these guys to, to be in that situation. And so we share the examples of us helping people go to rehab and coming back out of that situation and having a job available for them, not because it's required by law, um, but because it's the right thing to do. And we've had people that have gone, had to go multiple times and, and they struggle. One of the greatest stories we've had is somebody who's with us for a very long time uh, and who has then brought people into the organization from their uh, programs. And it's a place, it's a safe place for them to be able to go because they know that there's a, a, a culture that cares. Mm. And, and so we can give them those opportunities to really rebuild relationships, to rebuild their finances, to give them purpose beyond just doing a job. Right. So part of the growth that FCP has experienced can be um, directly attributed to these values. I'm curious from a customer's point of view, how has your core values helped set you apart from competitors? Well, I think one of the, the, so the simple answer to that is yes. Uh, and, and we do for every project that we have, we have a customer survey that goes out. So our foreman on the onsite are talking to whether it's a store manager or a regional manager or whomever it is on site, they're asked a a series of questions. And part of the questions are around our core values. So we Mm. may not use people driving growth in the, in, in that way specifically, but we will ask about their interactions with the people. Did we, were we treating people with respect? Because keep in mind that most of our projects are working on site in a place that the public is. So whether it's a retail customer of ours, they're not shutting down the store for us to work. We're working around their business, which means that we're, whether we are intentional or not, we're going to be intersecting with their customers or their employees. And so that's why we do those surveys to be able to understand what is it that our crews did well? What are the things that we may need to improve upon I would also point to the fact that many of our clients are really big organizations, big brands. They use a lot of contractors. You know, they don't give one contractor all their business. And yet we get rated uh, in in the top tier, if not the top one or two in every category that we are evaluated on. Mm. And that's a direct reflection of our of our people uh, and and the way in which they treat others. 
We've also had to make decisions uh, and we remove people very quickly when that becomes a problem because mm. that reflects on our business, not just not from a bottom line only standpoint. That's clearly important. We're a for-profit company, but that's not the driving motivator. We want to be one of the easiest contractors to work with. And the only way that happens is to use your example of Nordstrom or Southwest Airlines. Those places that say, yeah, our customers are actually first and we're going to go above and beyond to make sure that they're happy. One of the stories I often tell is one of our, our director of construction will be on site. And this is in, in, the, in the space where we are often working uh, for a high-end uh, hotel chain. And so they have an expectation of how the projects are set up. How do you tent things off? How do you make, the, make sure that as, it can be as clean as possible in a construction environment? Well, there's a story of, of him going at three o'clock in the morning because he got an email uh, late that night from a client general manager who was frustrated because it, the, the site looked dirty. There was garbage around. It didn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily say that it was our folks doing it, but it was just a dirty environment. So here he is at three o'clock in the morning, picking up garbage on their site to ensure that when they came back, when that GM came back the next morning, he didn't see it. That's how we operate. That's where, why we are different. Now, I'm not saying other competitors don't do that, but I would venture to guess that many of them wouldn't. They might push back and say, how do you know it was our guys that did that? Or, hey, guys, when you're out there again tomorrow morning, pick it up. Going above and beyond means we don't want that general manager walking back out on that site at 7 o'clock in the morning when he comes to work and seeing that same environment that he complained about the day before. And he didn't expect us to do it that way. It wasn't even told that our, our director had to make the, somebody, he had to ask somebody permission to do that. He just did it on his own because he knew it was the right thing to do. Hmm. So yeah, that's a great example of just values in action. Um, mo moving on a little bit, just about how you filter opportunities and think about strategy through the lens of your values. Um, as far as assessing, because honestly, sometimes it's, it's more important about the things we say no to than the things we say yes to. And I imagine having a clear set of values helps you clarify your thinking. What, um, how, does, how does your values play into the grand scheme of where your organization is headed as a whole? And how, how does it help you make strategic decisions? So this is one of the cornerstones of becoming a values-based organization. At the end of the day, are you willing to stay, say, we're going to walk away from business opportunities? We are going to reposition our organization to ensure that, that what we say is important to us is reflective in the decisions that we make. And that's always hard to do, especially in an organization that's growing, that is in an industry that nothing is guaranteed. There is no residual income. There is no ongoing reoccurring opportunities. Even with clients that we've worked with for the, the majority of our existence, every year is a new year. We start from ground zero almost every single year. So we know that many of our clients are going to give us projects every year. We don't know how many. We don't know when. And that can be really hard to run a business because you still have fixed costs. And so it's easy sometimes for us to say, well, we don't know when the next project's coming. So if we get an opportunity in front of us, we're going to say yes to it, whether it's the right business to get involved with or not, because we need the business. 
that's one of the growth pieces for us as an organization. And one of the strategic initiatives for us has been to even out our revenue. Mm -hmm. Historically, because of the way our business operates, we have big swaths of time, typically at the end of the year or the beginning of the next year, where our business clients aren't doing projects at that point. They want it done before the holidays or they, or they are still in budget mode in the beginning of the year. And so we can often go without having a whole lot of revenue coming in in the months of November, December, January. It's easy at that point to say, well, man, we're going to need revenue, so we're going to just take whatever we can get. The discipline that we have from a strategic standpoint is to say, how do we embark on new types of business to ensure that we can level off that revenue stream? And so even, what, even though we may have a dip, because it's traditionally when we have a dip, it's not going to be as severe, and we can continue on the path of prosperity for the business consistently. And so that, and that has taken a strategic measure around how we go about doing our business. So mm. as it ties into the drive and growth components of our, our core values, that's a part of it. We have to drive towards the discipline it takes to say, during this time of year, we are going to go after a certain type of business because in three months, that's when they're actually going to land that business and do the work. And so how do we make sure that we're staying disciplined in those areas of, of our business that we traditionally don't do anything in? You know, five years ago, probably 20% of our business was in the general contracting space. The vast majority of our business was in the, in the repaint program uh, across the country. So five years ago, we said, okay, well, that's our area that continues to dip. So how do we get into other industries doing general contracting work, renovation, remodel work? that is going to have a different business cycle so that we are able to even that out. And we made a concerted effort around that. So that was part of our, that goes to part of our core values, but it all comes back to that primary core value of people. If we say we're going to put our people first, part of that is ensuring that we have business available so we don't have to lay people off. Sure. So that we can continue to hire. And so we can take care of people because that's what matters to us most. And that goes to our strategic decisions around our, the business that we take. Now, an area that we still need improvement on, and I think it's always the case when you are an entrepreneurial organization, especially as a, as a medium-sized company, again, you don't have this revenue stream that's just constant, right? Is to be able to get more disciplined about turning away clients who don't care about the values that we care about. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when we think about being an easy vendor to work with as a contractor for our clients, part of that means that we will go above and beyond. But if your only concern is price, we're probably not going to be the best partner for you because we're going to always try to strive to do more, but we want to create a value base to our business as opposed to just winning on low bid. Those clients don't care about some of those extras. Doesn't mean they're not important. Doesn't mean that they, if you offer them, they don't want them. They just don't want to pay for them. And that's something that we have to be challenged with oftentimes because now we're putting our people in a position where they can never win. The client's always going to demand more and not want to pay for it. It puts our project managers in a difficult position because typically you'd have to do a change order if you want to do more, add more to the scope. Well, if a client knows that we're just going to say yes to everything, 
then they're going to take advantage of that. We have to be very careful about it. Same thing if they're using our project to cash flow their business. And so they don't want to pay us during the net terms. They want to pay, they want to extend it out by two weeks or a month. Those are the things that as a business, if we're going to stand firm on our core values, we need to look at that in totality. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing to do when you are making sure that you can keep the lights on in your business, because it's not easy to turn away business that's right in front of you, even if it's not the best business for us to take. Wow. So underneath these core values, there's these subset values is what I'm hearing. So underneath growth, there's innovation, creativity, um, and, and yeah, like you say, an entrepreneurial spirit. So you make a a good point when you talk about these, are there subsets underneath these core values? And I think there are many organizations, this is why a lot of organizations who try to, to create their core values will end up having seven or eight of them. And that's not wrong per se, but it is a challenge at times because do they mean the same thing? How do you differentiate between the what's really core, sort of that that pay to play, if you will, um, of a core value? And for us, instead of having multiple, we have these three that are core, and then there are definitions around what does it actually mean to live out those core values? Because at the end of the day, you can have your core values plastered on your website. You can have them written down. You can say that they're important, but they still have to live and breathe in your organization. And the only way you can do that is to make sure that the definition of what it means to be a people-centric, people-first organization, like we say that we are, is to make sure that everybody understands what that actually looks like in action. So again, it goes back to respecting people, especially in the differences. It also means that Many people would say, well, one of our core values is integrity. And we'd say, yeah, it is. But that goes to our growth, our drive, and our people. Because if we're going to live with integrity, it means we're going to treat people with respect even when we don't want to. It means that we're going to drive, but we're going to do so in a way that's going to take business that is good for the business, that's good for the greater good of the organization and not just for my own pocketbook. And the growth perspective is I'm going to help others around me grow. That's what integrity looks like in its inaction. And so you can have the core values in your organization, but if you don't know what they actually mean and you don't know how to quantify those in how people behave in the organization, Mm -hmm. they actually don't do you any favors. They actually do more harm than good because then everybody says, well, yeah, you talk about all those things but I don't see it lived out. And so one of the ways that we've learned to do this is to ensure that we talk about them often. So again, going back to our business model of the EOS, there are there are structures in place on a on a weekly basis, whether it's our one-on-ones with our with our direct reports or whether it is in our team meetings or whether it's in our quarterly meetings that we embed those into those conversations. And so being able to have the conversations to help people understand, well, what does it mean from my perspective and the team that I lead, what does it mean to to live out our core values? And we talk about what that looks like in their context. So a finance person is going to have a very different context than uh, a person that's a project manager on site when it comes to our core values. So what does it mean in their context to live them out? 
And that's what's going to help the organization be led by those values so that it's the organization doing the leading and not necessarily a personality or one person that has to do this. You know, our CEO, uh, James Lacusa, is somebody who has a tremendous strategic mind, very visionary. He's also not looking to be front and center. And so oftentimes he leads from behind, but he still leads nonetheless. And he does that because we can see the core values being lived out in all the decisions he makes, uh, in the way in which he treats people. And so if you're not paying attention to it, you'll, you'll often look at it and say, well, there's a CEO that I don't see very often. No, but you feel it every time that you experience working with him or the decisions we make as an organization. And I think all of our leaders try to do that. We don't need to be out front and center. We actually want our teams to shine, but we do that through our core values. So you talked about quantifying, and I think that's, I think business people are super uh, tuned into, you know, measurements and data and, you know, what gets measured gets managed. How, what kind of KPIs do you attach to these values? How do you actually measure to make sure you're doing a good job? Yeah, this is the big step that we're taking as an organization this year to connect the what with the how. So let's use an example. Again, very easy sometimes to do when it's production-based. If your job is to develop business, you have a revenue target that you are responsible for. But as a senior leader in the organization who might be leading up one of our segments, you have that full responsibility of that revenue target. I may not be doing it every day. I have a sales team that might be be functioning that way. And so part of creating the value link to the what is if you have a quota of X millions of dollars to go and generate, how you treat your customers to get in front of them is what we value and put a link towards. So if you're responsible for X amount of revenue and we say in this quarter, you need to have this kind of revenue target and it happens by having X, Y, and Z from a metric standpoint. So how many meetings are you setting? How many bids are you, are you putting in? Mm. The way in which we go about doing that is tied directly to our core values. It's why we have people driving growth because if you are driven internally to meet the expectations that are the easy, tangible KPIs, it's going to show up in your values. If I say, well, it's an excuse of, of this, uh, this excuse, the client never returned my messages. They're always going low bid. All of those things may be real, but how are you going to solve that challenge? Mm. I can point out all the things that aren't right and how hard they are. My job is to make sure that I deliver results. And so that shows up in our core values. And so that's how we, we tie those together and it becomes very tangible. So our customer surveys are one way that we tangibly find out if people are living out the core values. We do the same thing internally for all of our people. And so we do 360s. For managers, it's done every quarter. For individual contributors, it's done once a year. But that's a way for us to say, when you intersect with somebody else in the organization, let's say you're a finance person and you don't actually talk to the clients very much, even though they're the counterparts on the finance team, but you're really responsible for ensuring that invoices get out on time 
and that we're collecting payment on in those terms. We set very tangible goals of we want to have an invoice done within 10 days of our project being completed or whether it's whether that's 10 days or whether it's 5 days or whether it's 24 hours. It doesn't really matter what that metrics is. Part of us being able to tie our goals together with our our values is to say, okay, have you been able to do that? And now, is it only on you to make sure that that invoice gets out on time? And in our organization, the answer is no. You're, resp- you're, you're going to need help from the project managers to ensure all the documentation is signed off on, that we know exactly what it is that the client is going to expect in order to pay that invoice on time. In many ways, the finance team here in the organization is reliant on so many other people to do their job effectively that part of the core values is, can they influence around them to get what they need to accomplish their goal? And that doesn't happen in, an, in a silo. And so how do you treat people? Do you treat people with respect? Do you treat them as if their intentions are right? And so you don't blame them every time they're missing a, a document. You find out how you can help them solve that problem. Is it actually a client problem? Or is that a process issue on our end that we need to do differently? And so that's how we tangibly do this. But then it's also embedded. Anytime you're leading with your core values, they are much more subjective than, than a KPI for a tactical function. Mm. So that comes down to the relationships. Do we create an environment where people can speak honestly about the good things as well as the challenges that are out there? And do we know for a fact or to the reasonable amount that we, we should be able to know that somebody is actually living that out. So if, if, and I'll give you an example. So recently we've had a manager who is struggling with some of their team members when it comes to their performance. And as we ask questions around it, was it, is it a technical skill problem? Do they not have the aptitude to do some of the things that we're asking them to do? Or is it a behavior challenge? Do they not have the motivation to do it? Do they really not want to to do the work or do they not understand it? And so as we unpacked that with this manager, it became very evident that the manager didn't have things set up appropriately to be able to trust but verify. So when they were asking for something, did they know that something was going well on that project or did they just assume because the person told them that it was going well? And then when the financial financial reports at the end of a project came in and they weren't even close to what this person kept saying week over week, there, there was a, there's a behavior issue there. Obviously, there's a lack of integrity for being able to tell the truth about where, where your projects are. But on the manager side, it was also uh, an inability to ask the right questions and to know with a, with a certainty that something wasn't going right. So if you're looking at your weekly hours and the hours are way over what, what is on budget, if you're not actually asking the question, so what's going on there? Mm. How can I help you? And you're waiting for a financial report to come through, the project's already over. So there's nothing we can do about helping that problem. And so that's where we, we try to, to ensure that people are being held accountable, but also the accountability is on them. And so that's where that link between performance and behavior has to play out. It's, is it a people problem or is it a process problem or is it a combination of both or is it none of those things? And so it really comes down to us having a really good pulse on how things are going. 
And that comes with, a, uh, you know, there's a book out there that says it's the speed of trust, right? For managers to be able to have, if you don't, if your team won't trust you with, with being authentic and honest with you, especially when things aren't going well, that's an issue with the manager as much as it is with the employee. You haven't built the trust. They don't trust you that you're going to take that information and actually help them for their betterment. They think you're going to use it as a weapon against them. And that can be something that's a red flag for us as a values-based organization. If that's constantly happening, we're going to point back to the managers. The people in our organization will, in the role that I play, will all often say to me, they don't come to me with a problem with a person not being prepared to say, and here's what I know. Because I'm going to always ask them, so what are you doing about it? What do you know about the situation? Or is it just their, their fault? As a manager, it's your responsibility. I may not do all the work that my team does to, to accomplish day-to-day tasks, but I'm ultimately responsible for those results. And so my job is to enable them to be as successful as possible, to take all the roadblocks out of their way, to empower them with data and with process and with training so that they can do their job really, really well. And so at the end of the day, I don't want to micromanage that, but I also need to be aware enough to know when there's a problem and, and, and how do I help them get over that hurdle? And that only starts with trust. If they don't think that I have their best interest in mind and it's only selfishly because I want to be successful, if they only view it from that lens, we're going to have a hard time because they're not going to trust me. And I have to earn their trust more than I can just expect it because I'm their manager. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about trust because I think at the core of business, that's everything. It's trust and relationships, but really strong relationships come from trust. How do you, maybe we even talk about the speed of trust, but like how do we as business people, as just humans, develop trust faster? What would have been some ways that really uh, have worked for you personally or FCP or? Yeah, this is always a challenge, right? There is a fine line between trusting people and then holding to the clear accountabilities that they're responsible for. I think this goes back to our core values at, at FCP in the sense that I can say that people come first and some people will take that to mean, well, that means you care about people. So it means that Anything that you do that doesn't look like you care about them is actually not holding true to that. So an example of this is in a production-based organization, revenue matters and profitability matters and getting revenue completed matters. So if the only conversations you're having with people is we need to do more revenue, we need to have more production, we need to be more profitable, and they never hear about them as a person, how am I helping them grow? How am I helping enable them to do those end results of more revenue, more profitable projects? If I'm not doing that, then they will point to you and say, well, you obviously don't care about people because that means you're asking them to work harder, more, uh, more often with less breaks, if you will, from seasonality, not day to day, but seasonality breaks, then you really don't care about people. And I would argue, yeah, you're right. In that context, you're probably true. That's probably true. However, if I'm also not holding people to a high standard of excellence, both in how they treat their customers, internal or external, and to to do their job to the very best of their ability, I'm also not treating them and putting people first. 
if I'm in, if I'm allowing them to be mediocre, if I'm allowing them to slide on deadlines, if I'm allowing them to not continually personally grow, then I'm also not putting people first. And so it is that balance around that. And I think the only way you can build trust with people is to, number one, do what you say. Not perfectly. We're humans. We are always going to be flawed. As much as my intentions might be great to always treat people with the utmost respect, I'm going to fail. There are going to be days when I'm stressed, when things are going on, and I'm short with somebody when I shouldn't be. I need to own that. I need to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I was under pressure there. That is no excuse for me treating you poorly. And I think the more you do that, the more vulnerable you are as a manager, especially in areas like I don't have all the answers. I tell that to my team all the time. I'm looking for the right answer. I'm not probably going to have it. You might. So I don't know the answer. Let's brainstorm together. When I make a mistake, if I don't own that mistake, I lose trust and credibility. If I take credit for the work that my team does and I don't give them the due credit that they are that they deserve and earned, I'm going to lose their trust because they're going to think, well, that tool over there is, is taking credit for everything that I did. He didn't even know what I did. That's not going to build trust. So you build trust by doing what you say, by solving problems for them that they can't solve themselves. And some of that comes with the responsibility that you have. As a senior leader in the organization, there's an influence that I have that an individual contributor isn't going to necessarily have to solve problems. Not because they're not smart enough, not because they aren't capable, but because the organization is designed in such a way that they may not have the authority to do so. But I do. And so if I know that, they're, that they need help in something and I ignore it or don't know enough to ask the right questions, I'm losing trust with that person. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to, will they give that little extra, go above and beyond just the bare minimum? And if my team isn't consistently doing that, then I haven't built enough trust with them where they feel a part of something greater than themselves. So my job is to cast the vision for our team that's in alignment with our organization. It's to champion for them, cheerlead for them, solve problems that they can't solve, and also deflect the blame from them, at least outwardly. So an example of this is if we make a mistake on our team and the leadership team recognizes it and says something, I'm going to own it. I'm not going to throw my team under the bus. They might have made the mistake, but ultimately we're a team, but I'm the front of that team. And so I'm going to take the hit for my team in public. And then I'll go back and we'll deal with it individually, one-on-one, -on -one, out of the public eye. And I think the managers that don't do that, don't recognize that, or come across as genuinely, selfishly, only in it for themselves, their teams see it. Everybody sees it. Usually the leader is the one that doesn't see it. And so that's how you can erode trust, but it's also how you can build trust. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.